We're going to continue our series this morning looking at whole life discipleship. And uh, just to intro this, I, I want to uh, invite uh, Phil up and, uh, and, and just ask him a wee bit about his job. And uh, you've probably seen Phil lead worship, um, but you might not know what he does. So uh, this is called This Time Tomorrow, What Are You Going to Be Doing? So, uh, so this <laughs> time tomorrow, what are you doing? Well, thanks for surprising me, Alistair. <laughs> Just as well, I'm quite comfortable standing in front of all your beautiful congregation. <laughs> this time, this time tomorrow, well, my day, I work for the University of Stirling in the IT department. I look after the online services that they run, either in the cloud or the actual machines in the data center that we have there. Um, so at 8.30, I'll be sitting on my sofa with my laptop, I will log into the monitoring system that tells me if there are any file systems getting full, any um, websites that are down, that sort of thing, so I can get them all fixed. Um, we check that the backups happened overnight, and then we check the email to see what people are mothering us about. <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, so it, as a Christian in that kind of environment, I'll pretend I know what you were talking about. And uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> what, what kind of challenges do you face? I mean, what, what's it like being a Christian in that? Or does your faith I, have any bearing on your work? I'm actually very blessed in that the people I work with are a family, and we're, we're really tight. They know that I'm a Christian. They know I go to church. They know I lead worship. Um, they've even watched youtube a few times so so that's that's quite easy i think i've had some challenges this week where see our, our directorate they want us to do everything properly managed properly change managed properly signed off properly agreed and then someone comes along and says i need my service to go online today and you need to fix it now um not exploding at them <laughs> I have to call upon grace to do that and then just to get it fixed and say there you go but please be a bit more forward planning in future thank you very much <laughs> you know what i mean yeah so so kind of just being responding as a christian just, just and responding in love and blessing and trying and integrity can can be tricky especially when you do notice people try to cut corners sometimes, and I'm like, that's not happening. <laughs> so if we as a church are praying for you in your job, how mm. best can we do that? Oh, how best can we do that? I'm really not sure. Patience. Patience is a big thing. Do you know what? I, I, I quite often um, meet with Jim Ingham to pray, and the one thing that I always ask him to pray for me for is energy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just to have the, the, the kind of dedication and motivation in relation to yeah. work. Yeah, I'm blessed. Like I really it. enjoy my work. I love working with computers. It's great. Brilliant. That's great. Well, thank you, Phil. Thanks for sharing that. That's uh, really good to hear. What we're trying to get is, is a change, and it's a step change, and it isn't about a sermon series that... I'm, I'm hoping we're going to actually start to try and shift the way that we think, uh, which is a bigger challenge. But, but actually thinking about what we're calling whole life discipleship, but, but what it means to be a Christian outside of Sunday mornings or outside of your small group, what it means to live as a Christian and witness 
in the areas that you have influence. And, and actually sort of see what we do on Sunday as trying to equip people in order to do that. So it's not about coming along to church and sustaining church, but it's about creating a kind of missional mindset where we go out into the world to bring the influence of Christ, even on bad weeks where you're trying to sort out servers. And I, I know a little of that. I was uh, actually, I was, I was doing a talk at a conference, a Baptist Union conference yesterday that was online, and the whole technology collapsed for 20 minutes at the start. So, yeah, I know how frustrating it can be in, in terms of tech. And, 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 and wherever we are, that's our calling to be the presence of Christ. And, and I want to just show a video, hopefully it'll work. Uh, which kind of makes this point before we think about uh, being that presence wherever we are. Ten hours a day. Six days a week. Whenever I'm needed. Every Saturday morning. I spend my time. In a place that matters to God. With people that matter to God. My front line. In the stresses. Successes. Problem solving. Tantrum resolving. <laughs> Laughter. Teamwork. Jokes. Tears. Boredom. Tension. Cups of coffee. Cans of coke. God is working with me. He helps me see what he sees. Put here by God. He knows the day ahead. This place is rich with possibilities. This is my front line. We see the verse in chapter 28, verse 16, where Jacob awoke and he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. For a lot of us, our experience, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, is that the Lord is in the places that we find ourselves, but we just simply aren't aware of it. We, we maybe see work or childcare or, or even recreational activities as ends in themselves, as just things that we do either to, to feed ourselves or because we're family or, or because we've got to find things to fill our time. But as Christians, those things need to be approached differently. We need to actually approach them with an awareness that although often we haven't seen it, God is in this place. And, and wherever we are, God's presence is there working. And we see this in the story that we're going to be looking at in Genesis 28. Jacob had uh, 
he, he had defrauded his brother, basically. Uh, in the ancient world, as a firstborn son, usually inherited everything. The other sons didn't really get anything. And Esau was the firstborn son, although he was a twin of Jacob's. He was still the, the firstborn son. And so Esau was due to inherit everything from his father, Isaac. But, Esau defra- but Jacob defrauded Esau. And uh, he, he dressed up, and uh, Isaac was visually impaired, and he, he just didn't realize it wasn't Esau, and he blessed Jacob. And so Jacob stole the blessing of his brother Esau, and by doing that, he stole Esau's inheritance. Basically, he took Esau's life from him. And as you can imagine, if you were Esau, uh, he wasn't particularly chuffed about this situation. And, uh, and you'll see in Genesis 27, if you read uh, the read-up to this story, that the Isaac had died, and they were just waiting for the time of grief to pass, and then Esau was going to kill Jacob. And, uh, and uh, we're, we're told that his, his mom heard about it and warned Jacob about it. And, and Jacob had no option but to get out of there. And, and we're told that he began to flee, and, and effectively he, be, he became a refugee. He was seeking to escape. And, and his mom had said, go and hang out with my family in a place called Haran, which is in southern southeast Turkey on the Syrian-Turkish border. And, uh, and, and that's where Jacob was heading, and he was running from this place, Beersheba, in the south, all the way up. And um, the, the road that he actually was traveling is now known as the Way of the Patriarchs. And, and, and it's a road that goes up through the spine of, of modern-day Israel. And uh, it's, it's actually, if we're praying this week, remember it in our prayers because it's a very contested piece of land. And uh, there's a lot of violence happening there at this time that isn't making our news at the moment, but it is happening. And, and, and Jacob traveled up this road. He was running. And, and, and in a way, Jacob's life was as over as Esau's life was. Because in the Middle East, family is everything. And, and, and he was now alienated from his brother. The family was split apart. Things were a mess. And, and, and in the midst of this, in the midst of this difficult kind of situation, God decides to speak to Jacob. And Jacob meets with God. And, and we're told uh, uh, as he arrived at a place, it wasn't called Bethel at the time, but as he arrived at Bethel and uh, he, he set up for the night and he got, I don't know if you've ever gone camping. This was definitely not glamping. Uh, because he had a stone as a pillow. And, uh, but he, he, he set up this stone, and he just was going to sleep out under the stars. And suddenly, as he's lying there, trying to get to sleep, it's like the heavens open, and he sees a ladder, and he sees these angels ascending and descending, and God speaking to him into this situation. And, and it's an amazing vision because God is saying to him, you know, I can meet you in this place. You know, 
Sometimes people have said, oh, well, Jacob was imagining it. Maybe he was exhausted. Maybe he was suffering from dehydration and he suddenly had this vision or this. But, but, and, and I'm sure maybe after the experience of it, he maybe thinks, did I imagine it? But the Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he says this. He says, neither of these ideas will do. The narrative uh, shatters our presuppositions. It insists the world is a place of such meetings. You, you see, we often think of meeting God in holy places, in, in, in places that we deem as kind of, we expect to meet God. So Sunday morning, you might come to church or you might go to a special spiritual place a retreat place. Uh, I was, a few weeks ago, I was on Iona and, uh, and somewhere like that. And you think, well, maybe we'll get close to God or you'll go to a prayer room and think that's where we'll meet God. But what we see in this story is that God encounters people in the everyday, in the mundane. I, I, I mean, if you think, I, I think we spend about a third of our life, some a bit more, asleep. And uh, it's, it's a pretty mundane thing that we do. It's something that we do every day, most of us. And you got an extra hour last night as well, so that was good. And, uh, and yet here, in the monotony of sleeping, Jacob encounters God. Not in a place that you would expect. And throughout the Old Testament, or throughout the Bible, you'll see that people encounter God in surprising places. Moses encounters him in a bush. Elijah, not in a whirlwind, but in a whisper at the front of a cave. Zacharias, in a tree. Matthew, at a tax collecting booth. Peter, on a beach. Mary, in a garden. Uh, Matthew Henry, a New Testament commentator, he said, no place excludes divine visits. No place excludes divine visits. And, and if we think about this and take this out to what we're going to be doing this time tomorrow, no place excludes divine visitation. So maybe you're looking after the IT system at the university. Maybe you're in a school. Maybe you're working in a hospital. Maybe you're in an office. Maybe you're hanging out with your grandchildren or, or you're supporting some club or some group within our community. Wherever you are, that space is open to divine visitation. See, the, the vision that Jacob has is of a God who mediates his heavenly presence through these earthly embodiments of you and me. You know, that we become conduits and channels of bringing something that allows the presence of God to be experienced by people around us. You see, God takes the ordinary and he makes it into a transformative place. You know, ordinary places can become holy places. If you had gone to Bethel before Jacob had this vision, 
It was just an overnight stop, a kind of effectively an ancient travel lodge <laughs> on the way to Haran. Nothing special about it. Uh, it, we, we, it would be the equivalent of uh, a kind of motel today. Uh, and, and he stops in this place, not particularly distinctive, not got a particular religious history. And that ordinary place becomes a holy place. And, and again, for us, it's hard to see that in our ordinary everyday lives. Often we come to here to escape our lives, to escape our jobs, to escape our families sometimes. And, uh, and, uh, and we come here thinking, oh yeah, this is the holy place. Yeah, we, we've come here to meet God, we'll get refreshed, and this is where we'll meet God. In, in church, hopefully we'll have some nice music, hopefully the pastor will have something intelligible to say to us, and, 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 and we'll feel recharged after being in church. We don't usually think, I'm so looking forward to Monday morning because I'm going into a place that can become a holy place. I'm so looking to hanging out with my grandchildren because that encounter can become a holy place. I'm so looking forward to coaching football because that place can become a holy place or going into the office or going in as a plumber and visiting all these different homes, fixing sinks because this can become a holy place. You see, God takes the ordinary and he transforms it. And what Jacob needs to know in this situation is that God isn't finished with him. In verse 18, where, sorry, in verse 15, we're told, God appears to him and he says, all the people of the earth are going to be blessed through you. This is the promise that was given to Abraham. And, and Abraham had promised, been promised by God that I will bless you in order that you will be a blessing. And that same promise had gone to Isaac and that same promise had gone to Jacob. And, and for Jacob, you know, that was his heritage. That was his family heritage. You're going to go out there and be a blessing. And now he was a refugee and he was running and certainly his behavior had not reflected that heritage. And, and, and as he lay in Bethel, looking up at the stars, I'm sure he was thinking, is God really with me? And God comes and he says to him, I'm not finished with you yet. That's why this can become a holy place. Listen to the words that, that God speaks to him. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised in you. Just, just think about some of these promises. And, and again, maybe you're having a tough week at work or a tough week with your family or a tough week in your situation. You know, get out Genesis 28 and read these verses. Because God says, I am with you. You know, this is a promise. We were uh, looking a couple of weeks ago at Matthew's Gospel, and uh, it's the theme that runs through Matthew's Gospel. It starts with the theme of Emmanuel, God with us, and it finishes with the Great Commission, where Jesus turns around and says, I am with you to the ends of the earth. I am with you. And, and the promise that God is with us. 
that he isn't going to abandon us. I am with you, and whatever you're facing. And, and I was talking to some people just this week, and they, they've had not great news in terms of diagnoses. And, 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 you know, as Christians, our promise that we hang on to is that God is with us. And then we're told that he will watch over us whatever we do. He will watch over us. And, and again, that isn't just when you're in church singing songs. It's when you're doing your job on Monday morning. It's when you're engaging in whatever you engage with Monday through Friday. God says he will watch over you. And again, a promise that that is there for each one of us. And then we read, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is a great thing about our God. Our God doesn't give up on us. Our God promises that he will fulfill what he has promised to us. And so even if we're facing situations like Jacob here, where everything seems to have fallen apart and nothing is working out, he hears the voice of God speaking into him and saying, I will not leave you until I complete what I have promised to you. I don't know what God has promised to you in your life. And maybe there are unfulfilled promises. Maybe you felt let down by God. Maybe there are things that you thought were going to go one way and they turned out another way. And, uh, and situations where it's been hard to see God at work in those situations. Yet God's promise is, I will not leave you until I fulfill what I have promised to you. And, and we need to hang on to that. And, and sometimes it's hard. And, and sometimes those situations are where we have to realize that I wasn't aware, but God was here. And that actually in these places, we can encounter and discover God. So we see Jacob encountering this God in a dream. Yeah, and we have this invitation that wherever we go, through whatever doors we walk and in whatever places we find ourselves, that we can have an expectation that God can be at work there and that we want to seek to join him in that work. Whenever you go to Israel, um, uh, you'll see that on the doorpost, they have little boxes uh, in in Jewish parts of town or Jewish hotels. They have little um, boxes that hold scripture, mitzah, I think they're called. And, uh, and, and as, you walk, as you walk in, you, you have these scriptures. And the reason they put them on the doors, well, partly it's commanded in the Old Testament, but it's also to remind themselves that God is here, present. You know, and I think that's an amazing thing to do. When you go back home and you walk in through the doors of your house, this can be a holy place. You know, as you go to work, or you go and visit your friends, or you go and see your grandchildren, or you're a busy mom or a dad, this can be a holy place. As you go in and live your life, 
Maybe you play football at the weekends or cricket. Maybe you play in a band. This can be a holy place. You see, only when we begin to understand that God mediates his presence through the ordinary, God mediates his presence through you and me in the everyday things that we do where we actually become missional. You see, we often think that mission, and we, we talk about evangelism, and we think, oh, it looks like going out and standing on the street corner and handing out tracts to everyone. Um, I, I walk past uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses most days, and that's what they do. And, uh, and we think, oh, that's evangelism. That's what it is. But you know, that's not actually what it is. It's where you go into your ordinary life, into everyday aspects of your living, and they become holy places where God can work. Because he's promised us, I will not leave you until I fulfill what I have promised to you. Let's pray together. Let's just take a few moments to respond to what we've been hearing this morning. Thank you, Father God, that we are your church, the body of Christ in the world. We're grateful for our Sunday life and the worship that equips us for the days when we are apart. May we know your presence with us in the pressures and the potential of the week ahead. Help us to leave traces of your grace wherever we are and whatever we do. Lord of all creation, thank you that our everyday, ordinary places matter to you and we make a difference there we offer to you the places where we live work study and play maybe you think about the ordinary everyday places where will you be tomorrow this time what will you be doing just hand that to god May we serve you and bear witness to you wherever we are this week. And we, may we know your presence with us in all places. May these ordinary places become holy places. We ask this in your name.